We are in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If you want to open your Bibles there or navigate on your device to uh, verses 13 through 18. First Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. The Apostle Paul had taught the believers in Thessalonica about what is commonly called the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church is that event in which Jesus will return to remove Christians from the earth. Saints who are alive at this coming will be taken to heaven without ever experiencing physical death. The saints in Thessalonica lived in the daily anticipation of the rapture. They believed it was imminent. And by imminent, of course, by now you know that I mean that it could happen at any moment. Then something happened that they had not considered. Remember, Paul had only been with them for about three weeks. And he had taught them the imminent rapture. They believed it. And then a, a fellow believer died. And then another. And then probably some others. If Jesus was coming at any moment to take the church home, what would become of those believers who died prior to the rapture? It's a very sincere, serious question. We still have questions about the rapture today, don't we, in light of even having the completed Word of God. We always get questions about the rapture. What's going to happen with pregnant women when the rapture happens? Will the baby be taken to heaven? Will you, I, I always tell you that I have to tell you the truth. You'll be pregnant forever. <laughs> as far as I can tell. No. <laughs> so we have questions about that. And so that, this was, I mean, so you're a brand new believer and Paul says, we're going to be raptured any minute. You should order your affairs as if the Lord were coming at any minute. And then people started to die you didn't really understand the order of events. And so verse 13, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. The use of the word ignorant, not a rebuke, not at all. If anything, Paul was acknowledging that he had not fully instructed them regarding this issue, but now he wanted to bring them up to speed. And he said, well, I don't, I don't want you to, to be ignorant of this. I, I wasn't able to tell you about this in the three weeks that I had with you, the three successive Sabbaths. And after all, he was working full time. We don't know how much time Paul really had to share with them. He had told them some very important things, but not everything. You'll notice he didn't use the word died. He said that they had fallen asleep. When you fall asleep at the end of the day, your body lies temporarily still and resting from its labor until you awaken. Likewise, when you die at the end of your life, your body lies temporarily still and resting from its labor until it arises. The sorrow in these verses is related to their ignorance of what had happened to their deceased loved ones. They grieved for them, not just in the normal way we do when a loved one dies, but even more so since they thought these deceased believers were missing out on the Lord's coming for His church. One thing is certain in this letter, if you just understand the context even of the rapture and their concern, one thing is certain, they believe that Jesus could return at any moment to take the church from the earth to heaven. Anyone who suggests to you that the rapture of the church is not taught as an imminent any moment expectation in the Bible, we would say is just not reading things correctly. 
Paul did not want them to sorrow as others who have no hope. The others would certainly include non-believers. It's true that people who are not Christians have ideas about death and the afterlife, but it cannot ever be said that they have hope. In the Christian sense, we believe hope is a certainty of what is going to happen. And so people can postulate uh, afterlifes or reincarnations or things like that, but only the Christian has the hope of the afterlife. The Bible alone speaks with authority about life and death and life after death. Everything else is a false hope. We would call it a fool's hope. Okay, but when in relation to the rapture would they be resurrected? What exactly is going to happen to the dead in Christ? And so in verse 14, he says, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. The word if does not suggest any doubt. It suggests a logical sequence. It's more like if something is true, then other things follow from it. It's better then to understand the word if by substituting the word since. Since we believe that Jesus died and rose again. The death and resurrection of Jesus are the absolute bedrock foundation of our certain hope as Christians. In his resurrection, Jesus is called the first fruits of those who are asleep. That's from 1 Corinthians 15. First fruits, of course, are the first installment guaranteeing the rest of the coming harvest. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead guarantees there will be a further harvest, a future resurrection from the dead of all those who fall asleep in Jesus, or we would say commonly all those who die who are in Christ. Those who sleep in Jesus are the deceased of the church age specifically. Notice that Jesus, referred to as God, will bring with him those who sleep in him. They must be with him now in heaven, conscious, or he could not bring them. Uh, and, and so here we see that uh, to be absent from the body is to be immediately present with the Lord in soul and spirit in heaven. And this Paul tells us clearly and plainly in First or Second Corinthians chapter 5. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Verse 15, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. The word of the Lord here is a direct revelation to the Apostle Paul. When writing to the church at Corinth, he would call the rapture a mystery, 1 Corinthians 15, 51. A mystery in the Bible is something that was previously hidden but is now being revealed. There are types of the rapture in the Old Testament, but the teaching about the rapture is not revealed until the New Testament. Uh, and so types... Uh, once you know about the rapture, you can go back to the Old Testament and see signs and hints that there's going to be a rapture, but it's not really revealed until it's given to the Apostle Paul to tell us about it. The word we is important in we who are alive and remain because Paul always included himself among those who could be alive when Jesus returned to rapture the church. And so Paul believed the rapture was imminent. He, he believed he could be raptured. Now, yes, he would also speak of his impending death in certain passages, but that's not a contradiction. 
The Lord could and can return at any moment, but if he doesn't, I might die. I might fall asleep and not be alive and remain until his coming. And so a lot of people, they try to make a contradiction where none exists. But if I were to tell you tonight, or you were to tell me, hey, I expect to be raptured any minute, but at the same time, I've expected that for 35 years, and I could die before the rapture, it doesn't, no, one doesn't cancel out the other. The imminent rapture is still imminent, could happen at any moment. If it doesn't happen before I die, I'm going to die and be with the Lord. And so Paul said, I could be raptured. We who are alive and remain, I'm part of that. I might die, but I'm hoping for the rapture. Those who are alive and remain, he says, do not precede those who are asleep. It's actually a word of timing. The next verse gives you an orderly sequence of the events that occur at the rapture of the church. And so Paul is being a little bit technical with them. He's saying, look, I'm going to tell you that you're at no advantage to them. They're at no disadvantage to you. Uh, those who die in the church age, uh, they're absent from their body and present with the Lord. The Lord's going to bring them with him, and there's a particular order or sequence of events at that coming. And four words uh, capture that sequence. I, I like to remember these uh, because, as I've told you, I use this text a lot at graveside services. This is a, I don't know what the word quintessential means, but I think it's appropriate. This is the quintessential graveside text, the rapture of the church. And four words will get your point across and minister to people. They are return, resurrection, rapture, and then, of course, reunion. And so first, Jesus returns, verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. We know that Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven 40 days later. He said he was going to heaven to prepare a place for you and that he would come again and receive you to himself that where he is you may be also. He was going to heaven to build your mansion, uh, mansion, to build your mansion. Uh, well, it's just a slip of the tongue. You... He would build your mansion and he would return to bring you there. I could get a Baptist voice, I guess. Maybe that's why people enunciate more. They put the proper emphasis on the right syllable and stuff. So anyway, this return to bring you to heaven is not his second coming to earth to, dis, uh, to establish the kingdom on the earth. That occurs later. This return of Jesus is the rapture of the church. And when Jesus returns, there's going to be three sounds at least that he tells us about. The shout is a word of command. These things occur by the power of his word. Jesus needs only to speak in order to accomplish these things. You remember outside of the tomb of Lazarus, Lazarus, Jesus said, or Manson for that, right? He said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came hopping out of the tomb, wrapped up in his grave clothes. And so when the Lord returns, he will speak. 
His voice like the sound of many waters, and all of these events will occur. The voice of an archangel indicates an accompanying archangel. We'd expect somebody to hang with Jesus and to come with him as he returns, kind of an honor guard or a, uh, you know, a, a helper, as it were. The only archangel mentioned by name in the Bible is Michael, though there may be others. With the trumpet of God may indicate that the archangel blows a trumpet or that Jesus' voice is as the sound of many trumpets. Don't get confused. There are people who will try and tie this into the trumpets in the book of the Revelation. There are all kinds of trumpets blown for all kinds of reasons. Uh, And so just because there's a trumpet here doesn't mean it has anything to do with the trumpets in the Revelation. The dead in Christ are then resurrected, verse 16. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. The dead in Christ are church-age saints who have fallen asleep prior to this return of the Lord. Church-age saints, believers from the day of Pentecost until this coming, are the dead in Christ. They are a unique group of people. Uh, This resurrection does not include the saints of the Old Testament. They have their own resurrection to look forward to at a different time described in other Bible passages. The dead in Christ will be resurrected. Their bodies have been asleep. Now, whether they were, from our point of view, properly buried or whether they were cremated or whether their bodies were dissolved or destroyed in some other manner, no problem for God. The resurrection of those bodies is not really a reconstruction of their original molecules. Uh, Resurrection is described in the Bible by comparing your body to a seed that is planted in the ground. The seed dies and it dissolves. Out of it arises a beautiful flower or some other type of plant. Let's say it's a flower. It's connected to the seed, but it's very different from it. And so, you know, you, you don't plant a seed or a bulb in the ground and another bulb grows out of it. And you think, oh, wow, look at that. I've got a bulb. Uh, or a a giant seed comes out. No, something completely amazing comes from that little seed. Uh, and, And that's the idea. If you fall asleep before the return of Jesus, your body is like that seed. God will raise it, and it will be a new glorified body that is fit for eternity. Your soul and your spirit will have been with Jesus in heaven from the moment of your physical death. Uh, I take that to mean that they are corporeal, that they have form. You're not a disembodied, you know, ooze or something like that. You're who you are, but you're lacking your physical body. And at the resurrection, your soul and spirit will become housed in a glorified resurrection body, very much like the body that Jesus rose from the dead in. Now, we've already mentioned that Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. It guarantees believers will follow and be like him in their resurrection. Jesus died on the cross and his physical body was put in the tomb. His soul and spirit were conscious and alive. And three days later, his soul and spirit were housed in a resurrection body, a new glorified physical body that was transformed from the body that was in the tomb. What happened to Jesus will happen to all those who have fallen asleep 
in Him. Then you have the rapture, verse 17, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now, Jesus said, first the dead in Christ would be raised, then He raptures living believers. It will happen, we're told, in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, but it is orderly. And so, if we could break it down, if you had, you know, a special app on your iPhone for, which is the only phone that qualifies for eternity, uh, but it, for breaking down this time period, you would see the dead in Christ rise, and then the rapture would take place as far as a sequence, but it's all going to happen faster than that. Caught up is the Greek word harpazo. In Latin, it's rapper, from which we get the word rapture. Some people try to confuse you by saying that the word rapture never occurs in the Bible, that we made it all up. Well, it does occur in the Latin translation of the Bible, but if that troubles you, then we can start calling it the harpazo. Let's just say that we're going to be harpazoed. I, always, I actually always like that. I've, my pastor in San Bernardino, John Miller, used to say that. We called it the great harpazo which sounds like some kind of a parlor trick or something, doesn't it? Look at the great harpazo. But uh, so the rapture, it's, that's the word. It just comes to us from a Greek into Latin into English. Uh, the expression, not as important as the event, obviously. The dead will be raised and we who are alive and remain shall be changed and gotten ready for incorruption and immortality. Again, will your clothes be left behind? I, I'm thinking so. Uh, I would suggest to you that there are a lot of mind-boggling things we can't know about the rapture. But one thing uh, that we don't think about too often that I like to just throw out there, it is going to be an unprecedented global disaster. When Imagine right now if maybe, I don't know, let's throw out a number because there's a lot of Christians in the world, in China and different places. Let's say two billion people disappeared from the earth right now. Some of them are flying airplanes, some of them are driving cars, uh, some of them are, you know, doing these things. It's really, I don't think, true that airlines have one Christian and one non-Christian pilot. Did you ever hear that rumor? When I was a young Christian, they said, you know, uh, the airlines, they won't tell you this, but they always have a, a non-Christian pilot with a Christian pilot in case of rapture. I believe that. I'd believe anything as a young Yeah, okay. I don't think that's true. There's going to be plane crashes. You know, they can't always, you know, hang out. Hey, the Christian pilot is sick, so what are we going to do? You know, I've got to get another Christian pilot. But anyway, uh, so, but a lot of terrible things are going to ensue. We will meet the Lord in the air. The Lord does not return to the earth at the rapture. He's not coming yet to establish his rule over the earth. Something has to happen before he establishes his kingdom, the seven-year great tribulation. In the rapture, Jesus is coming to take his church home to heaven before the tribulation. Paul believed the rapture was imminent. He always included himself as a possible participant. The Thessalonians believed it was imminent, so much so that some of them quit their jobs to wait for it. We'll talk more about that in 2 Thessalonians. It would have been the perfect opportunity to tell them it was not imminent. But Paul didn't do that. He maintained that the rapture could occur at any moment, but he exhorted them to work hard in order to maintain their witness and not to worry about those who were the dead in Christ because they were uh, going to be resurrected. 
Again, the doctrine of imminence is very definitely taught in Scripture. Every position other than the pre-tribulation rapture is incompatible in some way with the doctrine of imminence. The tribulation has a very definite timeline. It has a starting point. It has a midpoint. It has an end point. If the rapture occurs any time after the tribulation starts, it cannot be said to be imminent. Even if you say, well, maybe it's going to occur sometime, you know, the pre-wrath rapture before the real bad part of the tribulation, well, then it's not imminent now, is it? It couldn't be said to be imminent until the tribulation started, and then it would be imminent, but it would have to start, happen within three and a half years. And so, any scripture that indicates that the rapture is an imminent event points dramatically to a pre-tribulation rapture. And then there's the reunion, verses 17 and 18, thus we shall always be with the Lord, therefore comfort one another with these words. We includes those who have fallen asleep and those who are alive and remain when the Lord returns in the rapture. All the saints of the church age will be in their glorified bodies and taken to heaven to always and forever be with the Lord. Comfort one another with these words is just as applicable today as it was in the first century. Now you see why you really need to share this passage of Scripture at a funeral, especially at the graveside when you're talking about resurrection. In it is the certain hope of reunion for Christians. If those who die are Christians, they are fallen asleep in Jesus, and you, if you too are a Christian, will be reunited with them in eternity, either as the dead in Christ or as someone who is raptured. No other religion or philosophy can give anyone anything other than a false hope, as I said, a fool's hope of this reunion. Amen?